The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and open to Psalm chapter 1. Children can be dismissed to the right-hand side of the sanctuary. Uh, Ages 4 and 5 can be dismissed over that way. Uh, Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. This is the entire chapter, Psalm 1, this morning. Uh, Things are a little different in that we're celebrating communion. And if you are a regular here, if you're a member, uh, you kind of understand that we typically sing more than what we just did. Uh, We're going to sing more after the sermon, but uh, we're going to do so in response to the Word of God and the Gospel. Um, And so, Psalm chapter 1, this is January 6th, 2019. Anybody feel like the last 19 years have just flown by? I mean... You remember January or right at like December of, of 1999, Y2K, we were afraid the world was going to come to an end and all that kind of stuff. It just feels like it's flown to me. But here we are, January 6, 2019. I just showed how old I am. Um, it's a good time for us to take stock of our lives. You know, a, a new year provides opportunities for us to just ask some questions. And that, what I mean by take, take stock of our lives is, is not that we would make a bunch of resolutions. Uh, if, you're, if you've made some in the past, you, you know that resolutions don't necessarily last. In fact, there's a, there's a sign at the church, one of the churches in, in Reedville downtown, that says something like, May your problems last shorter than your resolutions, uh, which I think is pretty good. You know, that's a, that's a good uh, blessing for, for the people because oftentimes resolutions don't last. And I'm not talking about making resolutions. What I am referring to is asking ourselves some tough questions, looking within and asking things like, what is it that I am pursuing with my life? What has my focus? What am I, what am I spending? What am I pouring my life out for? And our passage this morning, I'll just confess to you, is one that I love. I love chapter 1 of, verse, of Psalm. It's just one of those that just flows. And, and I'm not saying that, um, that it's easy to teach, but I think in some ways it is, it is one that's, it's, that just lends itself to teaching. Uh, I just said I was going to say it's easy, but it just, it just flows. It feels like for me. It's the Word of God through the Spirit of God. And so I want to look at this, and in this passage, it contrasts two ways to live. Uh, It it contrasts the the person who is pursuing this blessed life with the person who is wasting their life, who is is pouring their life out in pursuits of things that that will not last and and that will leave them disappointed in the end. It's this wasted life. And so the, the title that I gave, I think in the front of your bulletin, is something like Pursuing the Blessed Life. The title I, I have on my sermon here is Don't Waste Your Life. But it's, it's in that same vein. It's, it's, are you going to pursue a life that God calls blessed, or are you going to chase the things that the world says are worth chasing? And that's what we're going to see today in this passage. So if you will, Psalm chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so. 
They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This morning, I want to just walk through this passage as we would any other, and I want to just simply let the passage speak for itself. And so in verse 1, he identifies here a blessed man or a blessed woman. This is not necessarily speaking of gender here. This is talking about a person uh, created in the image of God and and what what it means if they are blessed. Now, blessed here is a word that that is sometimes a a, can be a churchy word. Um, I had a a delivery person come to my door this morning uh, with something that I had ordered, um, and they were from the U.S. Postal Service, of all things, on Sunday morning. But uh, the lady handed me the package, and she said, have a blessed day. And uh, I thought for myself, you know, you don't hear that a whole lot outside of the context of believers. Sometimes blessed can be this sort of churchy word. Uh, but but in, the, in the Scripture, it literally means, in the Hebrew language, supremely happy or fulfilled. Um, it's happy is the man or fulfilled is the woman could be the translation. It seems to be that this is what everybody in our culture today is pursuing in, in some sense or, or another. They're pursuing happiness. They're pursuing fulfillment. And some people pursue this through activity. They do wild things that produce adrenaline. They jump out of airplanes. You will never catch me jumping out of an airplane. Why would I jump out of an airplane? You know, that just doesn't make any sense to me. They do things like they run with bulls. I don't really care to do that either. They chase these wheels of cheese down these hills. You've seen this, these videos? And they flip and they break bones and all these things. I'm thinking, I don't like cheese that much. I can go to the Mex- Mexican restaurant and sit down at a table and they will bring the cheese to me. Why would I chase it down a hill? But there are some people that are pursuing fulfillment and happiness in these ways. Things like shopping. I don't know if you've gone shopping lately, but clothing is expensive. Yet some people max out credit cards, multiple credit cards, in pursuit of fulfillment, thinking that some sort, somehow some fabric that's sewn or woven together in some color, in some style, is going to somehow make them happy eternally. People who are perhaps single are, are dating and they're looking for the, the right person, the right guy or the right girl that's going to somehow check all the boxes and make them eternally happy. The Bible here tells us in Psalm chapter 1 that that those things will not ever produce this blessedness, this happiness, this fulfillment. See, what the world thinks is blessing, the Bible tells us is not blessing at all. The Bible here tells us that, that what blessing or happiness or fulfillment is not some superficial emotion, but it is joy that comes and lasts, it stays. It is not some superficial feeling that, that when circumstances or your situation changes, that somehow it's fleeting and it goes away. Joy or blessedness, the happiness of the Bible, is something that comes and moves in and it stays no matter what is going on in your life. And this is what the Bible is referring to here, this deep, abiding, lasting joy. Blessed is this man. Well, who is it speaking to? Or who's it speaking about? It says, Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
I want you to notice here the downward trajectory of this, this verse. At first off, it starts with, with, with walking and it moves to standing and then it moves to sitting down. It, the, the point here that the, that the writer is trying to make that God wants us to understand is that we rarely jump into the deep end of sin. Um, instead, we do what we sometimes do, not this time of year, but other times of the year with a swimming pool, is instead of jumping in, now I'm a jump-in guy, but sometimes you go to the shallow end and you find the steps and you sort of wade in slowly. And that's how we typically move into sin. We don't jump into the deep end. We don't find ourselves one day into some heinous activity just overnight. If we do, then then people around us will say, I don't understand. See, the reality is that we, we don't jump into the deep end of sin. We oftentimes move into it slowly. And that's the picture here of Psalm chapter 1. We walk in. We walk into sin. In, in, according to Psalm 1, we begin to listen to things that the Bible calls wicked. We, we watch movies or we, uh, or we watch TV shows and we laugh at what shouldn't be funny. We turn on a radio station We listen to song lyrics and we find ourselves singing along to things that we would never say on our own. We never say them to our mother or to our grandmother. We sing along with these things. We we, we envy a lifestyle of someone who isn't following the Lord, maybe a celebrity or a co-worker. We begin to, to walk into this sinfulness simply by exposing ourselves to it and beginning to entertain it as if it is somehow normal. And then it, it moves from there. We, we walk in, but we come to a point, if we're not guarded against this, that we stop walking through these conversations and we stop and we stand. We stand in the way of sinners. And here, the, the word here for way in this context is, it means the, the lifestyle. All of a sudden, we're not amused by or entertained by the lifestyle of others. Suddenly, we're not walking through those. Suddenly, we have stopped, and now we are standing in that same lifestyle. And that way of life now has become our way of life. And then we move from walking to standing, and we become so comfortable in that lifestyle that we sit down in the seat of scoffers. We walk, and then we stop and stand, and we become so comfortable that we sit down in it. You know, you go into any living room. You go into my living room. Uh, I'll have life group over at my house tonight, and, and uh, you're, you're welcome to sit anywhere you want to. But in any living room, there's, there's, a, there's a chair in there, particularly sometimes more than one, that belongs to a certain member of the family, Right? Everybody's got their seat, just like in here. You've got your seat in here, but in your house, you have this seat. Like, that recliner belongs to dad, you know, or that belongs to so-and-so. And that's sort of, that's sort of who, who it just belongs to them. And the picture here is that you become so comfortable in the presence of the wicked that you sit down in a chair that you claim in the living room of sinfulness. If someone were... To walk into to that, that context, they would look at that chair and say, oh, don't sit there. That belongs to you. And this is the picture here is that we, we walk and we stand and then we find ourselves sitting 
in the, the, the seat of scoffers. And the Bible here says that the blessed man or woman doesn't do that. That they, they don't uh, walk and stand and sit in this wickedness. Instead, they avoid it at all costs. The second side of this, though, is that the blessed person not only has this list of what they don't do, Christianity, is the blessed life, is more than just a list of don'ts. It's also this constant devotion to the Lord and, and to His Word. Here in, in, in the same context here, the, he talks about delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. Now, the law here is not speaking directly of, it, it, it's the word Torah, but it's not necessarily speaking of just a few books out of the Old Testament. In the context, it's pointing to the whole of Scripture, the entire Bible. And so the picture here is that, that we delight in the, the Bible, that we meditate on the Bible day and night, that the Bible teaches us about God. And, and some people think that, uh, or, or they don't delight in, in the law of God because they're not humble enough to be taught by the Word of God. They somehow think that they have it all together and they don't need anyone to speak into their life. I can remember um, having this conversation as raising my kids, and I didn't ask permission to, to share any of this, but at times, uh, now that my kids are basically adults sitting over here, one is and one's on the verge of being an adult, um, I can remember at times when they would be being brought up and they were kids and I was trying to teach them something, whether it was shooting a basketball or or, or, or whatever. And they would be obstinate and not wanting to receive my instruction. And I would say, be teachable. Well, some people can't delight in the law of the Lord because they're not teachable. They don't humble themselves in the presence of God's Word. The, the, another reason why some people don't delight in the law of the Lord or, or meditate on it day and night is because they think that they already know everything that there is to know about God. Well, that is... That is such a ludicrous concept that you would know everything there is to know about God. I don't want to worship a God like that, do you? I don't want to worship God who I've got him figured out and who I can put away. The Bible, though, here teaches us about God and he is inexhaustible and he is infinitely wise. And the, the Bible, the Word of God, is an immense treasure. And it is a privilege to be able to delight yourself in the Word of God. To meditate on it day and night. I have um, grown in this area over the last year. I've always tried to, to, to have a devotional life and have a quiet time and, and spend time in God's Word regularly. But this year, God has really grown me in this area to where I'm, I, I don't want to miss at all this time reading God's Word and then praying back through God's Word. I'm spending time in the presence of God. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm loving it, and I'm, I'm learning more about him as I'm just lingering there. And I'm praying the scriptures back to him, and it is a privilege to be there. And the Bible here tells us that blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. As I went through that and, and talked about the fact that a, the blessed man or a woman is someone who doesn't walk or stand or sit in, in the path of sinners. A, a blessed man or woman is someone who delights in God's Word and meditates on God's Word day and night. There ought to be a little bit of trepidation that maybe you feel at this point. A little bit of defeatedness at this point. 
Maybe, maybe you're sitting there and saying, I want to live this blessed life, but I don't always avoid wickedness. I don't constantly and continuously delight myself in God's Word. I don't meditate on it day and night. Maybe you're sitting there silently because no one's asking you to give a report, but you know in your heart that somehow this leaves you out. And, and maybe at this point you're, you're asking questions like, well, does this mean that my life will never be blessed the way the Bible says that it could be? Because you know your heart well enough to know that, that as much as sometimes you love the Lord, you're going to fall short of what's described there in verses 1 and 2. Does this mean that, that there is no hope for you, that, that a blessed life is simply this pipe dream, that happiness and fulfillment is, is not really ever going to be your lot because you can't fulfill verses 1 and 2 with, with perfection? Well, the good news for us is that we don't have to fulfill it to perfection because we can't. But there was one that did. And this is the point. We are not to read our Bibles writing ourselves into the place of the hero every time. There's none of us that should come to this, these first two verses of chapter 1 and say, man, I got that. I'm nailing it. I'm a blessed man. But instead, we ought to walk away from this saying, I am blessed, but I'm not perhaps blessed the way that I could be because I can't live up to this. It ought to cause us to, to look from this, to look from an Old Testament passage and see the answer to verses 1 and 2, not within ourselves, but within the man sent from God's side to live a perfect life and to die in our place. You see, Jesus never walked in the path of, of, of sinners. He never, he never stood in, in the way. He never sat down in, in the seat of scoffers. Jesus never did. Oh, he was scoffed at. He had his beard plucked from his face. He was spit upon. He was struck in the head. He was, he was made fun of. But he never, he never walked away from holiness. Jesus was the one, the only one, who ever perfectly delighted himself in the law of the Lord. He's the only one who ever meditate on it, meditated on it day and night. It makes me think of the time when Jesus is there and, and he's praying with his disciples and he, and he says, you remain here and pray. I'm going over there. I'm going to pray. And he comes back to them and where are, what are they doing? They're sleeping. But Jesus in that moment is perfectly delighting himself in the law of the Lord, submitting himself to the Father, refusing to sit in the seat of scoffers, Yet none of us has ever done that. The good news is that Jesus has. And he doesn't keep that to himself. It'd be one thing if Jesus had perfectly delighted himself in the law of the Lord and kept himself perfectly unstained from sin and then hoarded it to himself. But the Bible teaches that he does not do so. But instead, that those who turn from sin and place their faith in Christ, that he gives that to them. That he gives his righteousness to you. He gives His holiness to all who believe in Him. And this is the picture for us. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 is not about us making ourselves feel good or pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and saying, okay, this year, 2019, is going to be the year when I stay away from wickedness and I, and I delight in the law of the Lord. That's not the point. 
The point for 2019 and 2020 and 2021, if the Lord tarries, is that no matter how long we're on this earth, we will never be able to fulfill this the way that Jesus has. And so we are dependent on him. And we should be thankful for him. Blessed is the man who finds his blessing in the accomplishment of Christ. Well, how is he blessed? Well, verses 3 and, and following tells us uh, some ways that, that, uh, that the blessed man or woman is blessed. First off, that person has what they need in the regular seasons of life. The Bible here says in, in verse 3 that he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. The stream is this abundant source uh, of supply all year round. That even in, we've not been in a season of drought. We've had more rain than, than any of us really could care to have at this, this moment. But even in seasons of drought, this, the picture here is this tree by this stream that even when it's dry, there's still water in this stream. And the tree draws from this stream. But I want you to notice in verse 3, the little word planted. He's like a tree planted. This is not some, some wild tree that grows in the forest on its own randomly. This implies a master landscaper that, that chooses the plant and chooses the location of the plant and puts it there by the stream intentionally. What this means for you and I is that God is the sovereign master landscaper and He has placed us where He would have us on purpose. That no matter our circumstances, nothing in our lives is haphazard. That God knows what He's doing, and, and your life and my life is where it is at by His design. And that fruit will come in its season if we abide in His Word. James Johnston, in his commentary on this, talked about this fruit that would come in its season. And he said, there will be times where you, you wonder where this will come from, but fruit will spring up. And he says, thanksgiving in seasons of plenty, faith in seasons of doubt, patience in suffering, peace in turmoil, mercy when wronged, gentleness when falsely accused, humility in leadership, and prayer in all seasons. See, the blessed man or woman is the, is the one who is planted by God where God would have them to be, and he's he supplies all that they need for when they need it. Not only that, but he's also blessed because he has roots that reach deep into the underground reservoirs when the dry seasons do come. That even if the stream does at times seem like it's getting dangerously low, there are roots that go deep into the surface or beneath the surface that, that draws on moisture there and nutrients there that the, the eye can't see. Let me give you an example of this. You've known people, you've known believers perhaps who've uh, been diagnosed with cancer. And the prognosis is not good. In fact, they've been told, they've been given a certain amount of time that they will live and, and this is about all that they will live. And yet that believer, we've seen this here in this congregation in years past, believers diagnosed and they've, they've gone out of this world, they, they, there's, they haven't been healed, uh, not on this side of the grave, yet they never gave up hope. They continued to bear fruit. Their leaf didn't wither. They, rem they remained green in their faith. Not green in an immature way, but green in this vital way. 
the world looks at that person and says, what's wrong with you? Anybody else that would get the news that you have gotten would be somehow upset. There's no rain in your life. Why are you still so green and abundant? And when the the unbeliever, the world, looks at that person and asks a series of questions like that, then that believer, who has these roots that are reached down deep into the depths of the reservoir of God's grace, can look at that person and and say something like, whoever drinks from the water that Christ gives will never thirst again and give glory to Him. This person is blessed in that they have roots that reach deep into the underground reservoirs when dry seasons do indeed come. They're also blessed by by becoming a blessing to other people. Verse 3 also says that in all that he does, he prospers. Does 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 a tree produce fruit for itself? No, it produces fruit for animals of the forest or, or, or people that, that pick fruit from the tree and, and eat from that tree. You know, even, the, even the propagation, even when, when the fruit falls and the seed dies and goes into the earth and, and, and it, it sprouts up another tree, it's not ultimately for that tree. It's ultimately for feeding um, others. And generally speaking, the world would not call that prosperity. When verse 3 here says that all that he does, he prospers. The world would look at that and say, no, 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 prosperity is not me giving away and not having others in mind. The world would say, no, prosperity means that I would take for myself. But the Bible has this upside-down view of what, what prosperity and blessing actually means. In the end, we will discover that The only true prosperity is when we actually live our lives in such a way as to be a blessing to other people. The fruit that God bears in our lives, that we would be loose-handed with it, and we would give it to others so that they might benefit. We've been planted where we have been planted to prosper in the purpose for which He, for the purpose in which we were planted, that we might bless others to His glory. And that's the point of this. The blessed person is blessed indeed. Well, what's, the, what's the alternative here? Well, verse 4 gives us the alternative to the blessed life. It's this wasted life. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff is this sort of pithy, dusty stuff that is not really the fruit of the kernel. It's the stuff that sort of gets crushed and then gets in the way and the wind just takes it away somewhere. Again, Johnston in his, his commentary points out that, that this wasted life, this, the wicked life, is really the exact opposite of the blessed life. That all that the psalmist used to describe the blessed life cannot ever be said about the one who is living this wicked life. And Johnston said, instead of a solid tree, the wicked is a hollow shell. He doesn't produce fruit, his life is a husk. He has no roots to hold him steady and reach the water. He is blown by the wind. The wicked are rootless, weightless, useless, worthless. In fact, chaff is, is, is the way, um, is in the way. You have to remove it to find a useful grain. And that's the picture here God gives of the life that's not bent on or set on pursuing Him. It's this chaff that the wind simply blows away. Verses 5 and 6 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Sometimes 
it's hard to determine what is actual husk and what is actual fruit, what is actual grain. I worked for a season after high school in a, in a feed store that was also a mill, and we would, we would grind um, whole wheat flour, cornmeal, uh, things like this, and, and we, would, we would then we would work in this all day long, and sometimes it was hard to distinguish. If you just reached your hand into uh, uh, the wheat and picked it up before it was ground, there would be a mixture in there. You would have this chaff that's in there. Sometimes you would have just sort of an empty husk, but then you would also have a handful of grain that had to be separated from the shell. And sometimes in the church, it's hard to determine also what is husk and what is grain. Lost people at times can sit in the congregation of God's people for years and years. And they can, they can confuse and they can fool everyone around them, perhaps even themselves. They sit for years and years and listen to sermon after sermon, and they've heard the gospel over and over and over again, but there is no reality of grain or fruit in their life. They're not, they're not leaning on, they're not trusting in the, the fruit of Christ's work on their behalf. Instead, they are somehow trusting in this ability to do it themselves. They hear sermons like Psalm 1, 1 through 2, and they say, okay, the point of this is that I need to stay away from the path of sinners, and I need to spend more time in God's Word. Now let me go do it. And while we are called to do those things, we are not called to do them in our own strength. And sometimes it is easy for a person to rely on religion instead of relying on the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. The reality is for a pastor and for other church members, you may fool us. And this is not some condemning sermon from me up here saying, oh, shame on you. This is just the reality of things. You may fool us. We may, we may look at you and, 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 and say, man, they just appear to love the Lord. They appear to have, have the markings of a believer. And you may, you may convince us throughout our entire lives, but the Bible here in verses 5 and 6 tells us that in the end, you will not fool God. That God will look at your life and He will not... He will not have a hard time distinguishing what is husk and what is grain. Instead, he knows because he is the master of the harvest. Not only here does the Bible tell us that the wicked themselves will perish, that the the husk, the chaff of a life like that will be blown away by the wind of God's fury, but it also tells us here, and it's, it's subtle and we would miss it, but it says that even their way will be done away with. The way of the wicked will perish. Now, I'm from Tennessee. My wife is from Kentucky. And the way for us to go home uh, when we go to see family or holidays, things like that, is that we go up I-26 to Asheville and we go across on 40, uh, headed toward Knoxville. We stop off before Knoxville to see my family. We go to Knoxville and go north on 75 to go see her family. When we moved here nine and a half years ago, that route was suddenly changed. Nine and a half years ago, there was a rock slide right at the Tennessee-North Carolina line. You may remember this. And that route, I-40, between North Carolina and Tennessee was closed for several years and for several miles. And what it meant for us is we had to take an alternate route to get to see our families. But all of a sudden, in an instant, that way was gone. The picture here, that's that's a picture of verse 6 for us, is that one day the Bible tells us that the way of the wicked will perish. 
that the way that right now seems to be so happy and so fulfilling and is, is luring so many people away because it's, it's a wide path that one day it will lead to destruction, not only for the individual, but the way itself will be wiped away. The application for us here is, is, is clear, and I'll give you a, a few ways to, to apply this, but I want you to see the contrast between the blessed life and, and the, the wasted life. And the application for us are several. That in the strength of the Spirit of God for the believer that we are to turn away from sin. If you are here today and you are a genuine, Spirit-filled believer, that you have the power within you to resist, to not walk, to not stand, to not sit down in the seat of scoffers. You have the power. So turn away from sin in your life if the Spirit lives within you. The second application for us is that I want to challenge you not to be fooled by what the world calls blessing. You will look around at people around you who don't know the Lord, and you will look at their lives and say, man, they seem to have it all together. I mean, look at their family, and look at their, the home they live in, and look at their job, and look at how they seem to be advancing. And I would tell you that in the end, that none of those things will actually matter. That without Christ, without, without knowing Him, the life that the world calls blessed is not a life of blessing indeed, because verse 5 and 6 tells us that they will perish and their way will perish. So don't be fooled by what the world calls blessing. It, it will be lonely in the world if you indeed want to live and pursue the blessed life. You won't necessarily find friends lining up at your door wanting to spend time with you and to be your best friend. It's, it will sometimes be lonely. And it would be a challenge for us that we not isolate ourselves from others. That if the world wants to withdraw from us because we are pursuing a life that God calls blessed, we must not withdraw from those who are on that same path with us. Instead, we must press into them all the more. So the application for us is that we would not isolate ourselves in 2019 from the people of God. That instead, that we would renew our commitment to be here in this place, to be with God's people, to press in because out there at times it will be lonely. That we need one another, and the church is a gift from God. And I would tell you also not to waste your life living for the approval of those who don't really matter. That in the end, that the opinion of people that you may fear or, or want their approval now will not matter at all. That in the end, there is one opinion that will, be, will matter, and it will be his. That he will be the one that will be sifting through the grain to see what is husk and what is actual grain. Live your life for his approval. But in all of this, I would say that the, the, the point of application that I would want you to hear the most is the one that I have repeated several times. You can certainly live your life and waste your life by yourself, but there's no way that you can live this blessed life on your own. You and I can get ourselves into trouble, and we know this, but there's no way that we can bring ourselves into what the Bible truly calls blessing on our own. For that we need an alien righteousness. We need the one who did not stay in heaven but came and lived the life that the Bible here calls us to. We need the one who, who delights himself in the law of the Lord. We need the one who has avoided the path of wickedness. And we need the one who says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so the final point of application is for those who are here who are not believers, who you're not a Christian, 
Either you're, you're just, you know this about yourself, or perhaps you've been confronted with it today, and maybe you've convinced yourself through the years that you have been, but today you realize there is no fruit in your life. My challenge, my application for you today is that today that you would turn from yourself, quit trying to, to be religious enough, to be moral enough, and instead cast yourself on the mercy and the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. There you will find the blessed life indeed. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, more than anything, Lord, right now, I thank you that, that Jesus has lived this life. And I don't need to repeat this. But God, he's done what the word calls us to that we have not done and cannot do. And so, Lord, I thank you that, that he is our Savior. That he indeed, indeed extends the, the blessed life to all those who would follow him. God, I pray that in this time, as we respond, Lord, that there might be those in this room that would respond to that offer. That you might call those who are lost in, in, in the darkness of their own sin. You would teach them, Lord, or grant them repentance and call them to faith. That they might trust simply in the finished work of Jesus on their behalf. And God, that you might save them today. Lord, for believers all across this room, Lord, would you make us grateful for your life, your death, your resurrection. Lord, would you, by the power of the Spirit, Lord, teach us to live and pursue this blessed life. Lord, would you teach us to trust you even in seasons of of dryness. Lord, that we would know that your word promises that as we delight ourselves in you, that you will indeed cause our lives to bear fruit in its season. Lord, would you teach us to wait? How would you do so for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to celebrate or or respond by coming to the table of the Lord's Supper or communion. just want to explain a little bit about what this is. This is not a sacrament in that, that by coming and taking bread and taking juice that somehow this makes you a believer. That's not the case. This is not a sacrament that conveys any sort of status on you. In fact, we do this not to get something. We do this to point to the fact that we have received all that we need in Christ Jesus. That we open up these trays and we take the bread and we remember that His body, that He lived the life that we couldn't live. And we take His bread, His body, and and, and we eat that in remembrance of Him. We take the cup and and we see the color of the the grape juice in the cup and we say it it reminds us of his blood. That not only did he live on our behalf, but that he shed his blood for us. That he paid the atoning sacrifice. The wrath of God is completely wiped away because it was poured out on him. And we say in this, not, Lord, I'm doing this so that you'll forgive me. We say in this, God, you've forgiven me in in the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, help me to celebrate and remember this and also long for you to come again. You're going to have the opportunity to respond and and you'll come to the table as you see fit. You may want to come individually. You may want to come with family, people on your row, people from your small group. However you want to come to the table, please do so. Here's what I would ask is that you don't come and partake if you're not a believer. 
for the very reason that I just described. This doesn't benefit you in any way. We ask that you would be a believer to come and take. Not only that, if you're visiting with us here today, you're not a member here, but you're coming in good standing from another church, we would invite you to come and take the Lord's Supper with us today. But do so in a way that says, Lord, thank you for your gift. It's not an opportunity for us to line up in the aisles and and to to chit-chat about the national championship coming up on Monday or this or that. This is an opportunity for us to respond in worship. And so I would invite you to do just that. If you're here and you cannot make it to the table for some reason, if you'll simply lift your hand, we have deacons in the room that would be glad to come and serve you where you are. But let this be a response to the gospel of Jesus. If you're here and you don't know him as Savior, I'll be on the front row. I'd love for you to come speak to me. I'd love to lead you to faith in him today. But however the Lord leads, would you respond in obedience and faith to the offer of the gospel? Let's worship him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.